Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. How does knowing your ideals and purpose help you to figure out what you want out of life? How does someone begin to identify what their ideals and purpose are? Mercedes Kaufman is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Born in South America, Mercedes has experienced a wide range of different cultures and dynamics, which have led to a better understanding of sensitive issues among culturally diverse groups. Having a background in working with people challenged by addictions, Mercedes has learned firsthand that when people do not have a solid understanding of their purpose, they can often turn to addictions to fill the gap. Addictions do not necessarily have to be drugs and alcohol, but instead can be behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. When it comes to our most important relationships with our spouse or partner, Mercedes doesn't see money as the biggest relationship issue, but instead a lack of communication and connectedness that often drives people apart. You can have a spender and a saver in the same relationship, and the couple manages money perfectly fine because they don't stop communicating with each other. Please enjoy my conversation with Mercedes Kaufman. So Mercedes Kaufman, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Hi, Paul. How are you? Thank you for having me. I yes. am very it's grateful been, to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for making the time for us, especially towards the end of the year, because I know how busy everybody gets. But I was... I was actually drawn to you by a Vox article that, that I read. It had to be a few weeks ago. Um, and it was the title of it was, and I'll put this in our show notes, was how to figure out what you want out of life. And I think that goes hand in hand with the work that, that I do as a financial advisor that, that most people don't think about. I think when most people think of a financial advisor, they think of, of um, money and spreadsheets and things like that. And I was just talking to uh, a, a previous guest, uh, Dr. Morgan uh, Levy, about, about the same, same topic is that I think for the most part of what I do and the value I, I provide as an advisor is on the non-financial side. And so what, what the work that you do, I think really coincides with that. And I, and I really want to pull that out for our, our audience today and have this focus on what is what does that mean? What does it mean to you know figure out what you want out of life and and how we get there? So I've been uh, ever since you uh, accepted the uh, challenge to come on, I've been really anxious and, and excited about uh, having this conversation. So I am I am thrilled to open this box because I think that this is a very valuable conversation, Paul. So I think the the probably the best place to start, Mercedes, is for you to walk our audience through who you are, your background, and how you came into the field of therapy. 
Um, well, my name is Mercedes Kaufman. I was born in South America. So I came to, I would say, America in 98. I went to school. My initial passion was for fashion. I wanted to become a fashion designer. I am a very creative person, but I noticed that this is kind of really where my purpose kicked in is that when I had the choice in undergrad to choose between fashion design and psychology, I deliberated and decided that I could teach myself how to make clothes, but I could not teach myself psychology. And I've always been intrigued by how the mind works. I've always been intrigued about why some couples stayed together and some didn't. And at that time I was 17, 18, um, and my parents were divorced. And I was just always very curious about what makes a marriage work and what doesn't make others work. So that's when I first made the step into psychology and undergrad. And I am very grateful that it was the right choice because I have not yet doubted that decision since I started that journey in undergrad. Um, it's a very intricate, complex field, but it is, I, I'm very biased, I assume, but it's a very relatable field. You don't leave any class um, confused about how to apply that to the human condition. Um, it's things you could apply to yourself and family members and to partners and the world. And so I've always found such fulfillment about studying about the mind and the psychology. Um, then I went to grad school where I chose the, the track of uh, marriage and family therapy. So clinical marriage and family therapy. Uh, my license is in clinical psychology with the specialty of marriage and family therapy, which means working with individuals, but also couples and families. And I think that, that was another, when I, when I got into your bio, why I wanted to have you on, because I think most of my audience can relate to that because most of us are uh, parents or in some kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's the it's the one thing that you know I struggle with personally. I know a lot of my families that I work with do as well. And so as a again, as a financial advisor, it's very different because I tend to focus a lot on the emotional side of financial planning and mm -hmm. not just the the financial side of it. Mm -hmm. And and part of that for me begins with helping people identify, you know, what their family or you know, if you're not married or not in a relationship. You know, individual, what their their values and purpose are. So I think that's probably the the place I would like to start. Mercedes is when, in your experience in working with with couples and families, how is it that you're able to pull out of them exactly what their family values and purpose may be? Great question. I I noticed it in my own journey. I I started to once I graduated grad school, I had my mind made up that clinical psychology was working in a private clinic and working with families and couples. And then I had to do an internship. And the only internship that was available was at a drug rehabilitation center. And I needed my hours in order to graduate grad school. And so I took on the internship. 
And that's where I found my purpose and expertise, which is not just in couples and family therapy, but I spent five plus years in the drug rehabilitation center working with families and individuals who have experienced struggles with alcoholism or drug abuse. And a lot of my work was not only to uncover trauma and to help people heal from the trauma, but it also helped them find a purpose outside of using, outside of drinking. Um, a lot of people, when they don't know what their purpose is, when they don't feel significant to the world, that's where a lot of addictions develop. And I think that the pandemic really set off a spiral of addictions rising, uh, depressions rising, which made people want to use and drink more. A lot of relapses were occurring because purpose and significance is one of the most important things for people to be fulfilled and be happy in life. And so once I left treatment center, uh, I found that it was my time to start my own private practice, which is what I've now had for over five years. So a total of 12 years as a therapist. But I, I've seen a lot of people struggle with purpose. I've seen a lot of people not know what it is they want because we all grow up with parents telling us what the right field is to enter based on what is most financially stable. And we don't tap into what we're naturally good at. We don't tap into what we're naturally enjoying doing. Um, and I think that's in between um, what you're naturally good at versus where the universe leads you is your purpose. I think that's, that's, that sweet spot is in between those two. What are you naturally good at? What have you always enjoyed doing since childhood? Because that's our most authentic version. And where does the universe lead you? Um, and then marry those two together. And I believe find the purpose that way. Not by what people tell you, not by what's popular on social media, not by what makes the most money and the best cards, but follow what you're naturally good at because that in that is longevity and fulfillment. Yeah, I would I would totally completely agree with that because I think some of the probably the worst advice that that people get and you can go back to Steve Jobs' you know really popular Stanford uh, commencement speech mm-hmm. which I'm sure you know of is is he was he he highlighted follow your passion and I'm I'm a firm believer in that that's I don't think that's the direction to go. I think to your point you find what you are naturally good at, what you're naturally interested in, and let that help drive your your path, your journey, if you will. And and then as as you put it, you know, the the universe comes into play and and says, okay, yes, that's something that you can, you know, make a career in or have a have a fulfilling life or you know to be able to have the lifestyle that you want to lead. Um, because I think far too people, far too many people think that if, if I just follow my passion, that's, that's, that's what, that's what it'll work. But right. if you're, if you're not necessarily good at that passion right. per se, it won't work. Right. Right. I agree with you. I think, you know, for example, if people want to be, you know, say they've always been the comedy and the, the comedian in the family, or that they want to be an actor or they want to 
um, you know, some of the common fields and maybe it's not working out. Maybe they're meant to be a coach in that field. Maybe they're, you know, um, I think that if people look at the sequence of their lives, they'll see where the universe has been knocking for opportunity within that passion that they've just turned down because they were so tunnel vision focused on one particular path. I think there needs to be flexibility in fine tuning your purpose. Um, there needs to be an, a willingness and open minding, open mindedness. And I think that it's easy to tell the careers that were chosen out of fear and the careers that were chosen out of passion and trust in the universe. And I don't think that everybody has those opportunities to do that. I think sometimes you have to make decisions to survive. You have to choose career paths to survive. So I completely understand that. But for those who have a choice, I think that, you know, for those raising children, I think it's good to start nurturing their passions and to really start talking to them about what they're good at instead of trying to force them in becoming a doctor or a lawyer or the things that we think will give them but not happiness. Do you, do you have a way to help? Like when you're, when you're meeting with you know, an individual or family or husband and wife or partners on how to help draw out like what somebody may be good at, like to, because I think people have just a hard time starting the process. Like, like I don't even know where to begin. So mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's problem one and then I think another problem is they just don't allow themselves the the time, the gift to right. go somewhere quiet, like throw, for example, go into the woods and, and really think about this. Yes. I think there's two ways that I typically do it. The two tools that I use is I first have them, you know, let their guards down. I don't tell them why I have them answer some questions just so that they could be as authentic and transparent and they don't overanalyze what their response is going to be. So one of the questions is, hey, what are some things that you enjoy doing when you were a kid? I just want to get to know you a little bit. What were some fun things that you were doing as a kid? Uh, when all the other kids were playing outside or inside, what are things that, you know, what were your things for fun? Um, a second thing that I do is, hey, if money wasn't an object and you could have the ideal career or job or activity, what would you be doing? And when they just brainstorm, we get to a list and then it's about narrowing down that list because those lists are gold. We know what we enjoy doing as a kid. We now know that that's something that we're not that we're naturally drawn to um we find fulfillment in and if we know what our ideal and dream jobs are we could also look at the vision of where the universe might want to take us so go ahead know, so although i think for some people economically they might say well you know we don't have those opportunities which i completely understand but I tell those people, so if I have a couple or individual who has a very demanding job or a nine to five and they don't have the free time to experiment with hobbies and things they enjoy doing, I tell them, okay, well, after work, 
I want you to invest an hour to yourself. And I want you to spend that hour coaching or drawing or doodling or painting or doing music without thinking about the audience, without thinking about the trajectory, without thinking about where this is going. And just do it even if it's just for the psychology of stress relief, stress management, um, increasing your dopamine and serotonin, even if it's just for your mental health, do it. And eventually these people start taking the risks and making these things their careers, their, their, their dreams. So I think it starts with just you have to take, you have to make time for yourself. When when I begin working with with a family, um, I, I've developed this what I call this one page financial plan, if you will. And on one side of the ledger, there's you know numbers, there's a scorecard, there's you know asset allocation, you know mm-hmm. things that are traditionally financial planning based. But then on the left hand side of the ledger of the page, if you will, I lay out what are your family I- ideals purpose? What are your objectives? And then what are your action items to get there? So I think they, they all, the way I, I think about this, they all lay each other out, but you start with, with your, your ideals, your purpose, which we mm-hmm. just talked about. If we move one layer down objectives, how do you, how do you separate purpose from objectives? And and the reason why I ask this question is because it's one that I've been thinking about a lot over the last, I don't know, several months, if you will. And to give you an example, like when, when I put down the objective, I want to work out four days a week. Well, mm-hmm. working out four days a week isn't necessarily the objective. That may be the, more, the, the action item, if you will, but the objective is to, uh, be healthy, to feel healthy, to have more energy. And I think people get sometimes those, those things confused between the, the, the objective and then the, the action item. Do do I have that right? Yes, 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 absolutely. I think uh, a lot of my clients, if there's a uncertainty or ambiguity about what to do or Depression starts setting in. I think that what I have them do is, I always say, the more detailed your goals, the better the chances of succeeding. You need to know why, because if your goal is general, I want to make more money. <laughs> you'll never end. You right. will spin your wheels, and you'll always feel like the goal is you'll always make more money because the brain hears you. If you say I want to make more money. Your brain goes, then we're not stopping because you're always going to be capable of making more money. But if your goal is, I want to make money to be able to have a stable home, to have a good career, and to have the freedom to do what I need to do. And now we get into detail. Same thing with details. If I have clients that are like, oh, I want to lose weight. I This is too much. Well, get specific. Okay, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, what days are we going to do it? Three days a week. Okay, what time? three days a week because your body and your brain hears what you say and the goals you set for it and they will follow the lead of that so i think that it comes down to the objectives that we have are usually very broad because we don't spend enough time with ourselves 
to find out what exactly are we after? When will we know when to stop? We don't just go to the casino to win. When will you stop? Otherwise, you'll be those people who have lost everything in the casino. So we have to know when to, you know, we're gambling with our time. A lot of people become money hungry and their families are broken. Um, there's depression that sets in. Their wife is unhappy or their husband's unhappy. Their children never get to see their parents because money becomes everything. So you have to know, you have to know your brake pedal and you have to know when to, when to push it. I'm like frantically writing down notes, <laughs> which obviously the listenership can't see. So, um, man, there's a lot to un unpack there because when when I started getting into um, this field of being a financial advisor, that was one of the things that really um, intrigued me and pushed me to want to go a different direction because. I could see where, uh, e even if you're saving for retirement, it's, it's such a ambiguous goal. Like, and then it's a long one too. It's not like it's a two, three, five, ten year. Emily, you're usually saving for thirty plus years for retirement. And and what I what I often struggled with, or or was actually quite concerned about, was not having enough structure to your point around mm -hmm. that that objective, and. I think the, the 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 most successful families I've worked with, the reason why they're successful is that they can paint that picture like a Picasso. Um, they they know what they're they have clearly articulated ideals and purpose, and then are supportive by a very detailed objective, and then from there. We basically identify, okay, well, these are the gaps we have, and those gaps then become action items. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. I think another tool, Paul, that is really good that goes in hand in hand with that is Tony Robbins does the six basic human needs. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. So the six basic human needs are certainty, uncertainty, significance, love and connection contribution and growth. And I use this, he uses it a lot with businesses and how to make people be fulfilled in what they do. I use it a lot with families, marriages, individual happiness, because if you have four of those that score below a five from zero to 10, you will be unhappy or you won't want to stay at that particular job, career, marriage, relationship for a long period of time. So certainty is stability. So how, how much stability is in your purpose or in your job or in your relationship? Um, how consistent is it? We all need consistency in our lives, right? Even if you want to be a flight attendant, you need to know that there's stability and I'm going to get paid. I have security. And then uncertainty kind of really goes back to you need fun in your life. A lot of people, when they get so stuck on their goal, uncertainty is the first thing that leaves. A lot of successful business people, they lose fun. They lose spontaneity. There is no, let's, let's go for dinner. 
put on a nice dress or put on a nice suit. Let's go outside. We didn't plan it. Let's just take a vacation. Um, and that is really the, the, the spark and fun in life. And I think a lot of people lose that when they get too focused on goals and they lose their purpose. Um, and then significance is, is the one that I referred to earlier is another very important one. You have to feel like you're making a difference in what you do. You have to feel like you're unique in what you do, that you have a special skill you bring to your field, to your family, to your relationship. If you don't feel significant in the things you do or the relationships you're in, you're going to want out. Um, loving connection and the others are pretty self-explanatory, but it just goes to a good map for people to see where they need to do some self-exploration um, and to really see what keeps us in the jobs and the things that we do to find fulfillment. One of the things that, that I've been trying to unpack for the last several years now is this definition of, definition of what is enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it kind of goes back hand in hand as, as I'm connecting these dots throughout the, throughout this throughout our conversation, if you will, on you you can never know what enough is if you don't know the 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 objective, the values, the ideals that go behind what it is that you want to do. Yes, exactly. I think that that is a very hard thing to pin down what is enough because we're human beings. We're meant to create. We're meant to to explore and unravel and grow. And growth means that there's a need for more, right? So I think that what when is it enough is a very loaded question in that it's not very easy to answer because there is no, a lot of people want, they're so hooked on certainty that they they want a solution. They come to therapy sometimes saying, okay, so how do I fix that? And it's like, well, it's not, there's no equation. I'm not going to give you a prescription for, you know, do this, this, and then you'll get this result, right? It's experiential. So I think it's the same with what is enough is, we need to always balance our scales. We can't just keep speeding towards an equation. You need to always go, am I balanced today? Am I, am I doing a little too much shopping right now? Am I, um, you know, am I doing a little too much thinking right now? You know, we have to always check in with ourselves because we will naturally want to keep getting more. And especially nowadays in society, it's a more is better. Who has the most of everything instead of less is better? You know, going back to how do you find yourself to be enough without all of those external things? So that's why I think it's a tough question because I am aware that we're still growing and therefore we're going to need more. We're going to need to create more to match the growth that we've experienced. But at the same time, we also need to know when to kind of the brake pedal I was talking about. We need to know when to say, okay, this is what I initially wanted. Now I need to enjoy it. And to me personally, that is the hardest, that is the hardest part, Mercedes, that to, to, to stop the, I have this phrase, like, when do I stop the goalpost from moving? 
Because mm-hmm. to, to your point, we always want it to grow, but when, when do we get to the point where, okay, I hit my goal and then it's like, okay, what's next? And I, th- I think of this, um, this poem actually, hold on, I'm going to grab it real quick. Mm-hmm. It's called The Station by Robert Hastings. And the whole point of it is to really en- enjoy the journey. And I've, I've sent it out to some of my families um, before to try to go through an exercise like this. Um, because I think to your point that you, that you made earlier is that we can get so hung up in our goals and just getting to the destination that we don't enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. And for me, raising this unique family that I have, the, the set of triplets plus one, um, there are several times where I will, I, I, I have this conscious thought that pops in my head. I'm like, to just remind myself, stop, mm-hmm. have a conversation with your kids. You know, that, you know, what, what you're working on can wait. It's not that important. No one's going to, you know, quote unquote, die mm-hmm. over this. And, but it's, it's hard because I want to be there for my kids, but then I also want to be there for my, my Tama families and to see them be successful and see my firm be successful. And it's this, uh, always like push and pull. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you are experiencing what most people experience. I think the way that I would frame that psychologically for people to, to do their own self-reflections is that this is where my background in addiction really comes into play is that we've become addicted to the goal that our brain needs that dopamine constantly. We constantly need the dopamine of succeeding, the dopamine of, oh, another goal that we could check off the list. And that actually could become an addiction. Addiction isn't just substance related. So, you know, the idea of, okay, I need to stay busy goes back to the fear of something else, the fear of not having money, the fear of your children, you know, not having stability or security. And the the biggest problem with, I think, uh, one of the Zen Buddhists said is we think we have time. Our biggest problem is we think we have time. We think that we have time to, well, another another goalpost move, and then I'll come talk to my another million, and then I'll go spend time. Who's to say we'll make it tomorrow? You know, and I think people forget that because they're so on the rat race addiction to just succeed and it's driven by fear it's driven by fear of lack it's driven by the fear of unknown it's driven by the fear of not being good enough or the fear of not pleasing their parents even long after they've passed and so that's where i have people challenge themselves to sit still and go wait a minute i need balance in my day every single day every single day paul you need to have carved out time for you just by yourself, not as father, not as business owner, not as husband. Every single day you need to have time as a father. Every single day you need to have time as a business owner. And I give people a pie chart and I say every time you need to look at your pie chart and it needs to be somewhat balanced. Most people pie chart majority work and everything else gets leftovers and personal is the smallest thing on the pie chart. And we wonder why mental health is so terrible, right? Now. 
I had I had this I had this big smile that I'm sure that you could see because you could you could we could see each other. Is I use that analogy all the time from a financial planning context where I I'll draw a a big circle and start slicing up with pies because everybody you you can't have priority one A one B one C one D and it it. I what I my goal is to help force people to figure out again what it is that's most important mm-hmm. is is saving more for your kids' college rather than retirement versus you know a vacation home versus you know emergency fund better well, like what what allows you to sleep best at night and and take and I what I try to do is take the the financial equation like out of the equation where if if you could do one thing, this is what it would be. If you could do another thing, this is what it would be. And kind of like rank order. And, you know, those are the, you know, slices of pie. Yeah. So- I, I love that. I love that you do it also because it gives people a really good visual and it gets, I think a lot of people get hung up on what it should look like versus how to just explore again. I think we've lost art of exploring and resourcefulness. A lot of people will go, well, we don't have money for date night. Who's to say that date night needs to be at a restaurant? Date night could be a blanket on the living room floor with popcorn. You know, it's romance and connection or family time doesn't have to cost any. I just think people lost that creative, inner child, fun, resourcefulness that we once had because we think it needs to look like Hawaii and the family vacation needs to be in France because last year it was somewhere in Dubai. Well, no, right now, if we can't afford that, then we need to do small things every single day because if we don't, we're not breathing oxygen into our relationship or in our own happiness. And that needs to happen every single day. Um, I could I could continue on this, this conversation for... <laughs> for more than an hour. Um, but I think that's kind of like a natural way to pivot into like the last topic I, I really wanted to cover with you, which is uh, I think right in your wheelhouse. And I I can already know from this conversation, there's going to be more to come, Mercedes. So I, I'm, I'm already <laughs> looking forward to having you back on. But you deal a lot with family and you actually kind of let off with this is like what makes a good, what makes a marriage work and what, what doesn't. And I, there, there are numbers that I look at all the time and they are unfortunately like divorce rates, divorce rates for parents of multiples, because I, obviously I squarely, I fit squarely in that, that, that circle. I look at the ever increasing divorce rate for, um, uh, couples that are, you know, starting to get in their mid to late fifties. Like most people don't realize that, you know, that that's one of the highest, um, increasing divorce rates in the in in the U.S. anyways, and because I have I have people all over the age spectrum. I have people my age. I have people younger. I have people older, and you know the, the topic of relationships, especially around money, can get obviously um, uh, pretty tricky. And it's often said that one of the largest contributors to divorce is is money. How in in your personal practice, like? How true is that? Is is do you see that that you know in and out of of the people that that you see and work with? 
Um, I don't see it as much. I know that that money is a big contributor to divorce, but my case in point in that the couples who do the work, who make time to connect, who make time to communicate and communicate effectively, don't have those issues. And the couples who come to therapy are willing and open to work and connect. So although they may have been on the brink of divorce, there's an openness and a willingness to reconnect again. So I don't see it as much with my couples as you would think. My couples come to me for other things. I would say that the biggest reason that finances are an issue and a contributor to a divorce is that people stop partners, couples, stop communicating with each other. You don't, finances don't become a deal breaker until it's reached a certain level where it's just unbearable. It has to get to that point first. So there's a lot of missed opportunities where partners or parents haven't talked to each other about financial concerns and worries because the kids are too demanding or work is too stressful. And so you stop connecting with your partner. And that's what is not the finances. Anybody could heal from financial issues. Any couple could recover from it if they're a good team. I just think that if you're not a good team, then anything almost becomes a deal breaker. And I think that's the issue. We look at it as, oh, it's finances. I don't think it's finances. I think that people stop connecting with their partner and everything else, they, they become a sort of survivalist. It's all about survival. And when that happens, you're not connecting anymore. You're not communicating anymore. And then by the time problems come to light, they're almost too far gone. That is uh that is extremely insightful. Um at least from, from my perspective. I know a lot I'm sure a lot of other people listening would 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 find that as well because I I, I think you can in any relationship, whether you're married or not, um, you know, and I see this often is that you have a saver on one side and a spender on the other. Well, I I've seen I I, I work and I know couples that that fit that you know, paradigm to a, to a T, if you will, but yet they, they don't have any issues with, with money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why is that? Well, I think you just answered that question for me that I kind of always mm-hmm. wondered about because they communicate with each other They're, They have a, they have a strong connection. Um, yeah. And I think, I think some of the, 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 maybe the underlying fears that people have, even in a close relationship such as a husband or wife or partners or what, 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 whatever it may be, have this fear of like speaking up, like they're going to um, potentially hurt the other person's feelings. But it, I guess in a way that could be like extremely detrimental to the relationship, even though, you know, talking this through with you right now, it's just the opposite by, by not, saying anything by kind of burying it under the mattress, if you will, it just, it just builds in, absolutely. Absolutely. in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that whatever I always tell people, if something is concerning your partner or your partner has part in what you're concerned about, they have the right to know about it. 
it's not fair for you to keep that to yourself. Even if it's under the guise of, I don't want to hurt her feelings or I don't want to hurt his feelings. The sabotaging the happiness and the longevity of your relationship when you start determining what is right for them to hear and what is not right for them. It's not what we say, it's how we say it. You could be very nice in your delivery and say, hey, honey, we've got to cut down on spending because, remember, we want this and we want that and we want long-term success and right now we can't afford that. But let's be resourceful and have popcorn on the food couch tonight, you know? <laughs> so there's there's ways to, I always say, sandwich method. Start with something nice, then have the meat and potatoes in between. What is the constructive things you need to say to your partner? And then end with, but you know what? We're going to make it better by doing this. A lot of people just hand out complaints and restrictions. And then our partners get defensive. But if you sandwich it between two loving statements and two alternatives that are um, a good alternatives for what you're telling them to perfectly change, the, the way that the person receives your message is much more effectively. So I, I think that Keeping things, suppressing the truth and, and suppressing authenticity in a relationship is never healthy. It never leads to anything good. So I, I have a feeling I know the answer to this question, but I want to ask it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, in, in all your years of experience and working with, with couples and marriages and partners, um, what is the the silver bullet like what is the one thing that that you see in really successful marriages um the thing that i see that makes a relationship work whether they're very different or have different values or goals is that they have a willingness to learn they're not know-it-alls um, and they are open-minded and accepting of their partner's potential. They don't want to change the partner to become more like them. They see the differences in their partner as an asset to the team and the marriage um, and not as a deal breaker. So I think those are the things that I see in every successful relationship is open-mindedness to accept the differences in our partners and a willingness to keep learning in ways that we can improve ourselves in our relationship. I could, I could, I could probably go on for another thirty minutes and unpack <laughs> that some more, um, but I know I only, I only have you for a finite period of time. Which again goes back to what I said earlier. Like, I'm, I'm quite sure that uh, we'll, we'll have you have to have you back on in the, <laughs> in, the in the new year for sure. Um, so let me, let me ask this. So. Mercedes, where can people find your work and in, in, in what you do? So I am on social media. I am on Instagram under Mercedes Kaufman Therapy. So that is M-E-R-C-E-D-E-S-C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Um, a lot of people think Kaufman. Some Kaufmans are with a K-A-U, yeah. but mine is C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Frank. Uh, so Mercedes Kaufman therapy on Instagram. That's mainly where I am as far as for my clients or potential clients. I'm on psychology.com, where you could find 
any mental health professional within your state by just simply entering the code. So that's a fantastic resource for any of you who are looking to start your own journey exploring yourself or your relationship. Just go to psychologytoday.com um, and then just put in your SIP and it'll give you all the professionals in your neighborhood. Or you could just put my name in the search box and you'll find me on there. Okay. We'll, we'll, um, I'll make sure that we have uh, links to those um, in our show notes. So I just wanted to make sure that people, because you, you're, you're a tremendous resource. You do a lot of, of, of giving back um, and, and, and work and writings and articles. So um, I just want to make sure that people knew uh, the right, right place to find you. Um, you. So let me, let me bring, bring our conversation, this first one at least to a close and ask, I know that, I know that you don't have any kids, but I know that you are a animal lover, whether it's dogs, cats, <laughs> even squirrels, you told me. Um, so what is, what is the best thing about being a pet owner, if you will? I think that my husband and I chose not to have children. It just, we, we've flirted with ideas. Of, I've been married 13 years, so we flirted with the idea about children on and off. But I think we followed what we're naturally more in love with. And I think that having been pet owners for about the same amount of time that we've been together, we still have the dogs that we've had since we've been together. Um, you know, I think that that really took up the nurturing that we would have maybe spent or wanted to spend on having children. So our nesting need was fulfilled with our dogs. But also, I think we naturally are more drawn to, you know, we, we, we're suckers for, oh, poor little squirrel outside. Nobody fed the squirrel or this poor dog in the shelter needs a home. Or, um, and I think because we know that we have such a deep love for saving animals, um, we realize that, you know, if that's not the feeling towards children, I think animals, they just have such an unconditional love and need and, and gratitude that I just think we never, we never change, change directions since we've been on that road and, and it's fulfilling now, you know, now I have three crows who come every day for lunch and they get fed I have three squirrels, a new baby, a uh, third one that just I started feeding. Uh, we have fish. Um, we do have this raccoons who I put water <laughs> out to sometimes. We definitely have you know, a whole dump here on my property. Um, and it's very fulfilling because I feel like that is my purpose. I feel like I am an animal lover by heart. The universe and my higher power wants me to do is to take care of those that might sometimes be forgotten. Well, Mercedes Kaufman, I cannot uh, thank you enough for the time, uh, the insights. I, 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 we're recording this towards the end of, of, um, of December. We'll probably release the show beginning of the new year, which I think will be uh, apropos for, for, for people starting a, a, a new journey, if you will. So, um, Mercedes, I, I can't uh, thank you enough. And uh, I'm already looking forward to that conversation in the new year. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. 
Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.